Well, amen. That's a wonderful presentation of faith, I believe, and we appreciate it so very much in Galatians chapter 5, and uh, beginning in uh, verse 22, we have a passage that is often read and often referred to and not very often practiced, and I am trying to bring a series of messages on the virtues because as I said at our convocation the other day, our Anabaptist forefathers believed that a man had to be born again. That short of being gloriously saved, Christ's intervention in his heart, that he could never be right with God. But they went one step further. They also said, if you have been genuinely born again, it will be reflected in how you live and how you die. Unfortunately, that's not talked about very much anymore, but I want you to look at what the Apostle Paul says. Having listed all of the ways in which the world lives in the verses immediately above, he comes to verse 22 of Galatians 5 and says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by means of the Spirit, then let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us match our confession with our action. Let us walk in the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The problem with Patterson is much more horrible than that which my preaching professor has taught. He has said that it is unlikely that I would be able to preach on the virtues and oh dear how true that is. But the problem really is when I look at this, the fruit of the Spirit and I see the list, I don't qualify on a single one of them. Oh my goodness, what am I ever going to do with me? How am I going to exemplify the virtues that Christ requires of me as a follower of Christ? I can no more do that than I can save myself. Just as the grace of God must be extended to me in salvation, the grace of God must be extended to me in the development of Christian virtue. And the reason why we do not have the Christian virtues and do as we ought is because we receive Christ, but then we don't walk in the power of the Spirit of God. You can do a facsimile of these in your life. You can do some things that will cause some people to say, well, look, there's a man who walks in the Spirit but the truth of the matter is you will know deep down in your soul that unless the Spirit of God comes to your assistance and aids you powerfully, you do not have the ability to reduplicate 
the life of the Spirit. I have it happen all the time. Riding into Jacksonville, Florida for the pastor's conference the other night, my wife sat immediately in front of me because we didn't get our reservations in in time, so we were separated on the airplane. Now, usually when something like that happens, I wonder what God's up to. I soon found out. Carol joined me in the seat with my, uh, to my right. Carol was a bear of a man. He was uh, uh, not afraid of anything. Uh, he didn't need to be afraid of anything. He'd just fall on you and squash you. And uh, so he uh, sat down next to me and he ordered a vodka, the first of two that he drank. And um, he began to talk with me and I began to talk with him. And uh, the question occurred to me, how can I love this man? Because as he talked to me, it was a string of profanity. And I telling you this now because I don't think he'd mind my telling you. And uh, as I listened to him, I thought this man is hard to love. But the more I listened to him, the more I did love him. And there was, in spite of all that hard exterior, a heart in the man. He was generous and kind. He was loving of his children, and he kept talking about them in one way or then the other. Finally, he got talking about his father. And he said, you know, he said, something so strange happened to my father. He said, uh, my father was, uh, was a man who didn't care about God or anything else, he said. At that point, he still didn't know I was a preacher. And he said... Uh, but right toward the end of his life, while he was dying, he said he began to want to read the Bible all the time. And, and he said something happened in his life and God just changed him and, and then I guess took him on to heaven. Man, all you have to do is talk to people and they'll just open the door wide open. I said, would you like to see him again? He looked shocked. And he said, well, yes. And I said, not going to happen. And uh, he looked knowingly and said, well, maybe that's true. And I said, on the other hand, it can happen. But let me tell you what you'd have to do. And I told him how to be saved. I said, as we started to land in Jacksonville, can we pray together? And he said, please. I put my hand on his arm and we prayed and he asked the Lord to save him. He got quieter and quieter because he was having trouble getting the words to come because he was so deeply moved. And through his tears, he invited Jesus into his heart. When he looked up, he was the happiest man I think I've ever seen. But he ignored me the rest of the way in because we were down low enough that he could make his cell phone work and he called his wife and told her what had just happened to him. And while we were in the final stages of landing, he called his daughter who was sitting in a car out in front of the airport waiting to pick him up. And he said, let me just tell you what just happened to me. He was the happiest man I've ever seen in my life. You know what? I was so grateful that God somehow had worked in me to see through all the rough exterior and love that bear of a man. 
He's going to come see me here one day because he works just south of here. I got him promised he'd come by and visit with me. And so he's going to do it. Maybe we'll get to introduce him to all of you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, but the problem is I don't love people. Like, what is it? You know, what does love mean anyway? I love the Cowboys, America's team. What a shallow use of the word love. Man, I love nil guy. That's a form of steak, only it's not from a cow. It's from a nil guy, an Indian antelope. Got a bunch of it of it right over there right now. And uh, if you're sweet, I might give you a taste of it. Well, anyway, I love Nilga. Was that, was that real love? Man, I, I love to go out in the wide open uh, territory and go to Africa. I love to do that. Uh, this, well, you know, the sloppy, ceremonial uh, love that we talk about all the time has nothing to do with biblical love. Oh, well, I love to make love to my wife. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you might be right. Once in a while, that can actually be biblical love. And agape is used to describe that form of love. But the truth of the matter is, most of what goes on in our society about making love to somebody has nothing whatsoever to do with what love is. Now, let me just say to you that there are all kinds of biblical words for love. Please do not get up in a congregation somewhere as a graduate of Southwestern Seminary and say this word for love always means that and this word for love always means that and this word for love always means that. All you do is to shout your ignorance to those who listen to you and I don't want you to do that being a graduate of Southwestern. Words mean what words mean in a sentence and in a paragraph and sometimes even within the book itself and sometimes in the context of the whole Bible. However, there is something unusual about the biblical word agape. The verbal form of that word, agapao, is common in secular Greek as well as the Koine Greek of the New Testament. But there are only seven possible occurrences of the noun agape outside of the New Testament. Only seven possible occurrences of the word in secular Greek. I say possible because every one of them has been affected textually so that it looks like it may be agape, but we can't be sure. It is actually conceivable that the Apostle Paul and other writers of the New Testament took the agapao verb form and reduced it to a noun, agape, to say specifically what New Testament love was. Well, nowhere, though, is it defined. And so today I want to call your attention, and I cannot begin to exegete the whole of it, but just listen to 1 Corinthians 13. For while it is not a definition, strictly speaking, it is an explanation of what happens when genuine agape love is present. Listen to what he says. 
though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Now, when an orchestra's up here and the clanging cymbal is heard as a part of the orchestration, it makes a beautiful thing. But let me tell you what, if all you have up here is a clanging cymbal and he's just banging that again and again and again, first thing you know, you draw and shoot. I mean, that gets old in a hurry. It is not a pleasant sound. It is meaningless when it is done that way. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and even if I had angelic utterance, doesn't matter what your charisma may have, what your, what your spiritual gifts may be. If you don't have love, it's just like clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. You know, if you, if you get a, a MDiv and you go ahead and you stay with us and you do a D-Men or you really get into research and do a PhD, Oh, the fun of having those letters after your name. Yeah, well, let me tell you what God says about them. If you have all of that and you don't have love, you don't have anything. Though I have all faith so that I can move mountains and have not love, I'm nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, I'm generous. Man, am I generous. And though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Do you begin to get the point that it is not so much what you confess as it is how you live that makes a difference before God? Do you begin to get the point that Christianity has to change you in your heart and only then does doctrine, the gifts of the Spirit, and all those other things become a value? Oh, yes, if I have not love, it profits me nothing. Now he begins to tell you some things about love itself. Love suffers long. That word suffers long is the Greek word makrothumia. Macro means large, a long time. If you have a microchip in your computer, you've got a little tiny chip that you can hardly even see. But the opposite of that is macro. Macro means large. Macrothumia. Thumos is one of the Greek words for anger. Love is a long time in getting angry. <laughs> that hurts so bad. I like to get angry. You say things that irritate me to death, particularly you, Dr. McCarty. <laughs> and, and I just get so angry. And you know what that is. That anger is nothing but a show of pride. I think I got something to be angry about. Listen, anybody got anything to be angry about? God's got a lot to be angry about. God created us. He gave us life. He gave us all these things that we have. And we disobey him as though there were nothing to it. If anybody's got a right to be angry, it's God. But 
Love is long-suffering. It's a long time to get angry. Just remember that in 99 cases out of 100, when you show your anger, it is not righteous indignation. It is an expression of a wicked heart. And put it down. If you love like Jesus loved, it'll be macrothemia, a long time getting angry. Well, what else does he say? Love suffers long, is kind. Love does not envy. Uh, what's that guy doing up there? He needs to get out of the way and let me get at it. Love. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. Now that is one of your keys to an understanding of love. Love does not seek its own. You see, the agape love of the New Testament that the writer is talking about is always other person oriented. I love steak. What do I mean by that? I love it for what I think it can do for me. I love the Cowboys back when they were America's team. And uh, what does that mean about it? I'm entertained by what they do for me. But if I love my children, if I love my wife, if I love my grandkids, imagine that. If I love them, I love them selflessly. I love them not for what they can do for me, though God knows they do an enormous amount, but I love them for what I can do for them. There's nothing that gives me any greater joy than what I can do for them. That's how God loved us and gave his son to die for us on the cross. Love is other person oriented. It doesn't ask about yourself. Why is it that in the foxhole when the grenade comes in, the young man who has his whole life ahead of him yet loves those men that he has become bonded to in the, in the battle so much so that he throws himself on top of the grenade and takes the explosion and ends his life right there. Why did he do that? For what it would do for him? No, he did it so that everybody else that he loved in the foxhole could continue living. Love doesn't care about itself. Well, look at this. It seeks not its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, rejoices in those things that are true. False news, gossip. Every day here on this campus, we deal with gossip. Gossip is never an explanation of God's love and of love in us. Rejoices only in truth. Now, I want you to look at these three things, four things, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is not an argument to be... Uh, credulous to, to think things that are not true just by always putting the best spin on them. It doesn't argue for that. It doesn't argue that you're blind to wickedness. You can't live in this world and be blind to wickedness. 
What it does say is that as long as possible, love will bear with the brother, bear with the sister who is astray from God. It will believe the best it can as long as it can. That's so difficult for me. Man, if, if, if I hear that you're doing something, you parked in the wrong place out there in the parking lot, I gotta believe you did it on purpose. But that's not God's way. Love's way believes the best. But love's way keeps on hoping for the best. The reason that mother never gives up hope, although her child is in prison, although he's on death row, she keeps on hoping for the intervention of God, for the miracle of God, because she loves that boy that came from her own womb, hopes all things, and endures all things. In fact, the apostle says, love never fails. Where there be prophecies, they will fail. Where there be tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it shall vanish away. And wait a minute, if you know something to be true, it's got to be true. But don't you realize that when you stand with all your knowledge before the great omnipotent God of this universe who created all things, that your knowledge will be so insignificant compared to his knowledge that it will vanish away? All the knowledge you can put together, I'm for it. I believe in school, but it's going to vanish away. For now we know in part, we prophesy in part, when that which is on perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then someday face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. Now abides these three things, faith, hope, and love. These three, but which is the greatest? The greatest of these is self-sacrificing, other person-oriented compassion for the, the other, love. I did not know him well, but Dr. Ewell Porter was known to me and I met him on several occasions. He was professor of music at Baylor University, famous for his a cappella choir. He was born in 1910. He lived until 1998. When he grew up in Calvert, Texas, he played basketball and football. He didn't know that he had musical ability, but gradually that became apparent to everybody. He went to then Simmons College in Abilene, Texas, which later became Hardin-Simmons and uh, I myself am a hardened sinner. And so I went to school there. And while he was there, he met Christine Dennis. They eloped on August the 26th, 1936, but if there was ever a good elopement, this was one because they went to her pastor who lived in Muleshoe, Texas, and they asked him to marry the eloping husband and wife and and so he did, so they had a good marriage, and they had a wonderful marriage, as a matter of fact. Richard Yule was born 
March of 1940. Oh, what a happiness occurred when that little boy was born into the home, but it was not long until it became apparent that he was very ill. And after only 18 days, the little boy died. Later, just a few days later, the mother, Christine, who had had a terrible stroke, or who had had the little baby by C-section, had a terrible stroke. It was one of those strokes that probably should have taken her on to be with the Lord, but somehow she survived it. But she survived it unable to take care of even the basic necessities of life. She was what many people would refer to as virtually a vegetable. And she lay there on the bed, unable to meet his needs physically, unable to meet anybody's needs, totally an invalid. She lay there for 36 years. You know, I didn't particularly like you old Porter's music. It was a little bit too high church for redneck cowboy. So I didn't care too much for it. But I want to tell you what. I came to have the greatest respect in the world for that man. He bought a home down at Waco close to the campus so that he could come and go quickly to his classes and then go back home and care for her. He took her to the football games and to the basketball games and he took her everywhere with him. He was uh, sealed to her in a bond of love that could not be broken. It was not even certain how much she could really understand of what was going on. But he always had time for Christine and, and he labored with her day after day. He was faithful to her. Oh, he had every opportunity in the world. There were all kinds of pretty little co-eds who came into his program and he could have done what some professors are doing today and had an affair with one of them, probably could have done that. But no, he had pledged his vows of marriage to Christine. And everybody watched in amazement as day after day, month after month, year after year for 36 years, you old porter ministered to Christine. She died in 1976 and he buried her with the tombstone that would someday contain his name also because he wanted to be buried by the one that was beloved. If you want to see love as close as it ever comes to God's love, Look at you, old Porter. If there's anything less than that in your own life, God will not bless it. To have the blessings of God upon your life, you have to learn to love as God.